Amen. Amen. Let us turn then to our confessional reading this evening, Lord's Day 11. That is in the smaller Forms and Prayers book found on page 212. It is also in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnals, but page 212 in the smaller Forms and Prayers. As we come to the beginning of what might be called the Christology section, the section focused on the doctrine of Christ, taking the lines of the Apostles' Creed as the outline. Lord's Day 11, questions 29 and 30. I'll read the questions together. Let us say the answers. Question 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Question 30. Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints and themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No, although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. It is the confessions that we hold in common, that faithful summary of the word of God. Let us turn now to God's word, Acts chapter 4. Often when we're going through a New Testament series, we have Old Testament confessional passages. But for the next handful of weeks, we we may not uh, do that too often because we're we're in the section focused on Jesus himself and his name, and so it will be much easier to find our texts here in the New Testament. And so uh, we're remaining in the New Testament now in Acts chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 to 12, and we'll be focusing on verses 8 to 12. Acts chapter 4, page 1160 in the blue ESV Bibles. Acts 4, we begin our reading at verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, 
by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So far the reading. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, well, as our Lord Jesus Christ is no longer on this earth, is the power of Jesus remaining on this earth? That would have been the question in the days of the early church. Many mighty and visible miracles had been performed by Jesus and by his disciples as he uh, accomplished his earthly ministry over the course of three years, but Jesus is now uh, dead, and there are Pharisees trying to convince many that he remained dead. And so the question is, will the power of Jesus still be seen? Well, Peter and the other disciples know that Jesus did not remain in the grave. They know that Jesus arose, that Jesus ascended into heaven. And they know that the power of Jesus has not changed. So that while Jesus is no longer physically present, the name of Jesus still has real power. And Peter and the disciples know that the real power of Jesus is the power that goes deeper than the healing of a man lame from birth. That it is the power that saves souls. It is the power that brings many to believe. And so the greatest miracle is not the healing of a man lame from birth, which is the context that sets up chapter 4. No, it's that Hearing the sermon that followed that miracle, there was this miracle, but many of those, 4 verse 4, who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. In other words, there were more than 5,000 who believed. And so the power of Jesus is still at work. And that deeper power, the power of the saving of souls, is the power of Jesus which remains at work this day. Christ is risen. Christ is ruling. Christ's power is and remains real. It's the power of souls set free from sin. And it is only in the name of Jesus that souls are set free. That's our theme tonight. Jesus is the only name for salvation. The name for healing is our first point, and then the name for resurrection, and then all of this leading to the name for salvation in verse 12. Well, Peter and John have been kept overnight in prison. They're put now in trial before the Sanhedrin. And just to briefly overview how we get here, it's because they healed the 
the beggar who was lame from birth, described there in 3 verse 2, and he calls out to them for money, but then we read this in 3 verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now this man, lame from birth, a man well known, so that as he rises up and walks and now goes about walking and leaping, all of the people of Jerusalem recognize this man and they say, that's the man who's been lame from birth. And there he goes walking and leaping. And so this, uh, this stirs up the crowd. And what, is that, what does that lead to? Well, that leads to an opportunity for the disciples to preach before the crowd. And that's what 3 verse uh, 11 to the end of chapter 3 is. It's one sermon. And then we get the picture that the sermon is, is interrupted midstream in 4 verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And so uh, this uh, breaking up of the sermon uh, was done uh, not uh, not for any not for any righteous reasons, uh, but simply because uh, it was annoying to the Sadducees, the Sadducees who were a small but very politically powerful group. Uh, Annas and Caiaphas were Sadducees, and so this uh, this politically powerful group who doesn't like any preaching about the resurrection, who denies the resurrection completely, they're annoyed at this preaching. They don't care about a miracle of healing. Uh, they don't care uh, to hear the name of Jesus proclaimed at all. And so they stop the sermon. This, this is the reason why uh, Peter is taken into custody. And so Peter uh, begins his answer by pointing out the irony. If we are being examined today, and it could almost be translated something like, are we really being examined today for this reason? Like, is this, is this, is this really a reason to bring someone before the judicial power, before the Sanhedrin? Could it really be that we're brought here because of a good deed done to a crippled man and by what means this man has been healed? Well, at this point, let's uh, back up just once more and consider the Sadducees in one other group. Because the Sadducees, they are very much content to go with the flow right now. They don't want anything in their lives to be interrupted. They like holding on to their false theology that denies the resurrection. They like having political control, including the control over the temple and its uh, lucrative sales that go on. They like having the Romans in power because the Romans are content to leave them with a great amount of local authority among the Jewish people. And so they just want to go with the flow. They are greatly annoyed by this preaching, which would point out their false theology and which would raise up the name of Jesus and which would uh, raise up perhaps thoughts of insurrection. And that brings us to another group of people. You see, while the Sadducees want to go with the flow, uh, there were uh, other people, uh, such as the Zealots, who did not like Jesus because Jesus preached, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's. And so there's all kinds of groups, we might say, on both sides of the Jewish political aisle who hate Jesus for all kinds of different reasons. 
Reasons of their own false theology. Reasons of their own false hopes to rise up in their own ambitions. Reasons of their own desire to have their life not interrupted. For all different and conflicting reasons, there are many who hate the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is the story in with different particulars from one century to another. And so if we jump forward 1,500 years, what was one of the main issues in those days, in the days when the Heidelberg Catechism were written? Well, in those days, one of the particular false theologies of the day was to trust in saints, to trust in the false Roman Catholic theologies for salvation. Of course, this still would be an issue today for any who would trust in such. And so the language of uh, the catechism is, uh, is this, in, in the question for question and answer 30, do those who look for their salvation and security in saints really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? But of course, we have not only the particular, we have not only the issue that was going on in the 1500s in a, in a particular way, we have not only the issues which were going on in the days of Jesus, but we have the broad language here also, trust in their security and saints in themselves or elsewhere. And now we can fill in the blank and we can consider how uh, there are those who trust in themselves or elsewhere and trust apart from Jesus Christ now in our own days, sometimes repeating very closely the errors of the past, uh, trusting in their own side of the uh, political aisle in whatever ways for their own salvation, uh, trusting in their own false theologies, whether it's the denial of the resurrection or whatever else. But whatever form it takes, uh, we are called to put all of these away, and to look only to Jesus Christ. Either, answer 30, Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in Him all they need for their salvation. And so Peter points out the irony of the situation in verse 9, but he really brings it straight to the point and to the heart of the matter. Verse 10, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, this has been done. Peter points out the irony, points out there is no good reason for them to be in custody, but he also cuts to the chase. He cuts to the heart of the matter. This Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but who rose from the grave. That takes us to our second point, the name for resurrection. Before Jesus could conquer the grave, Jesus had to die. And not very long ago, really only a matter of, of days, uh, Jesus uh, it's not the matter of years, in other words, this Jesus stood before this Sanhedrin and they could find no guilt in him, yet they condemned him and put him to death. 
And so uh, they did this despite the fact that this was the very group that should have known better. And Peter uh, points this truth and this reality out by quoting from the Old Testament scriptures, from Psalm 118, which is a, uh, one of the Messianic Psalms, one of the Psalms that anticipates and promises and prophesies the Messiah in a special way. And it is also a psalm which has this line. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now, stop and, and uh, think about, consider the appropriate nature of this specific quote. Because what's the, what's the picture of the psalm? The builders have missed the essential part of the building. Now, it's one thing, you know, if, if, uh, if I was to look at a half-completed building and, and I was to have no idea what should be done next. Because I'm not a builder, and most of us are not builders. And so most of you are probably in the same boat as me. You come, up, you come, across, uh, you come across a half-made a half building and you don't really know what to do next. That's not a surprise. We're not builders. But if a builder comes across a half-made building... And he has idea, no idea what to do next. If he has, if he misses the essential part, if he misses the supporting pillar, well, he is a builder. He shouldn't miss the most important part of the building. What is going on here? And that is exactly what has happened with Christ. We might think of the line of, of Jesus to Nicodemus the Pharisee, one of the Sanhedrin, in John chapter 3. Are you a teacher of the law and yet you do not know these things? Who should have been first to recognize the Messiah? Who should have been first to recognize Jesus for who he was? The prophecies are plain. There are, there are prophecies in the Old Testament that specifically and beautifully and directly speak of what Jesus did while he was on this earth? Who, who should have been the first to recognize this? You builders, you teachers, you Sanhedrin, you should have known who this man was. But you did not. You rejected him. You put him to death, but he did not remain dead. He has the name of life. Now, you might say, I'm not a member of the Sanhedrin, and that's true, but are you a part of the covenant community? Are you a student of the word? Have you been blessed with abundant resources? Have you heard many sermons in your life? Some of you have heard many sermons. Perhaps you've been part of the church for decades. Well, that's a real blessing. In a sense, you, brothers and sisters, are builders, theological, spiritual, knowledge builders in that sense. And so what will we do with our knowledge? What will we do with the promises of Scripture that have been laid out to us? What will we do with Jesus who has been clearly proclaimed to us? 
How will we respond? Will our spiritual blindness be such that we should know who Jesus is, but yet we would reject Jesus Christ? Or will we take the blessing of the knowledge of the Word of God and by the work of the Spirit in our hearts, will we rejoice and say, I know Jesus, I see Jesus, I rejoice that perhaps from my youth I have been steeped in the knowledge of who He is and what He has done, that the eternal Son of God came to this earth, died on the cross for my sins, that this was directly and pointedly and beautifully prophesied of old that this is the work that still has power today to save my soul. What will be your response as the cornerstone, as Jesus Christ is set before you? There is only one truth. There is only one Savior. There is only one who conquered the grave. The man who was lame from birth. Oh, what a beautiful day that must have been to walk and leap for joy. But he still died. And if the Lord tarries, we will all die. And if the Lord does not tarry, we will all become face to face before him. And this is the Lord of life. Lord who has the power of life. To reject Jesus is to reject life. To repent and believe is to know life from death. And so that's what takes us to our third point. This is the name, the one name for salvation. There is beauty in healing and in the and in the acts of healing which Jesus accomplished upon this earth there is beauty when there is healing when those who are diseased have uh, reach a point of healing reach a point of pain removed these are these are beautiful things these are good things but we need something deeper and more beautiful now, the word for healed at the end of verse 10 is it's really from the same, uh, it's the same Greek verb as the word for uh, saved at the end of verse 12. But it is, it is clear from the movement of the text, and especially from the word salvation at the beginning of verse 12, that Peter has moved from speaking about physical healing and, and that act of physical healing for that lame man, and Peter has moved to the topic of salvation, of spiritual healing, has moved from the healing of the man lame from birth in in 3 verses 1 to 11, and has moved from that and into the word of repent and believe. And that is preached so, so pointedly in Peter's sermon. Look back with me at 3 verses 8 to 20 but what god foretold 3 verse 18 by the mouth of all the prophets that is christ would suffer he thus fulfilled 
Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. This Jesus is the one we must look to. Repent of your sins. Look to Him. And in Him, finally, there will be restoration of all things. There will be all tears removed. There will be all pain removed. There will be all disease removed. There will be any, uh, any weakness removed. And God has all of this power. We, we need the deeper healing. And this was always... Um, one of the key and really the essential point of any of the miracles of Jesus Christ. Now, some of the miracles of Jesus Christ, there was more than one reason for them. We might say, broadly speaking, that compassion itself was just one of the reasons. And we can think of the line in the Gospels, he had compassion on them. But there was a there was this deeper reason, and, and this was part of, of the whole point of the visible healing miracles. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. And in Matthew 9, verse 2 to 7, we see this so plainly worked out, how the healing of the body had the key purpose of demonstrating visibly the soul power, the power to heal souls and to forgive sins. Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He rose and went home. This is the healing we need. This is the reason. Finally, why Jesus is called Savior. He, Jesus healed many. Jesus did many beautiful things in his brief time on earth. But this is the reason why Jesus came. This is why Jesus is called Savior. Question answer 29. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins. And so... Brothers and sisters, know the power of God. Know the power of God that is still very much alive and at work. Because God is drawing sinners to Himself. And as we repent and believe, the very power of the cleansing of our souls is real and it is exercised. And it is worked in us by the Holy Spirit and we are saved. And Jesus is our only Savior. 
there is no other name for salvation. As, G, as, as Peter says it in the middle of verse 12, no other name under, no other name under heaven given among men. Now, in these days, it is important to specify even the very Jesus that we speak of. We can illustrate this by thinking about two different people. And they're trying to figure out if they know the same John Smith who lives in Fond du Lac. And they start talking and they find out that the man that they're speaking about is tall, that he's the son of a police officer, that he lives in Fond du Lac. But then they find out that they can't be speaking about the same man because the next question they ask is, well, is he married? The one man says, no, the John Smith I know is not married. And the other man says, well, the John Smith I know is married with four children. We must not be talking about the same man after all. Indeed, we, we would think that uh, that two people would be not very sane if they claimed they were talking about the same man just because a few pieces of information were the same if they found some things that were clearly contradictory. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, we live in a day and age when there are those who deny the resurrection, there are those who are their own form of zealots, there are still those who trust in saints, but really one of the primary ways that Jesus is rejected today is that people do not believe all of who Jesus says he is. And so if we say that Jesus was born of a woman named Mary and that he was born in the town of Bethlehem and that he was born around the year 0 AD, so far we agree with many atheists. And if we add the word that he was a prophet, so far we agree also with Muslims. But when we add that this Jesus is the eternal Son of God and his mother Mary was a virgin, that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, that he was crucified, dead, and buried, that on the third day he rose again from the dead, and that he ascended into heaven. Well, now, sadly, we have lost many people in this nation. And then we're not talking about the same Jesus any more than three pieces of information being true about two John Smiths means that there's one John Smith. There is, there is one Jesus. And we must believe all that He has revealed Himself to be in His Word. We must trust then in Him as He has revealed Himself. And we must point others to Him as He has revealed Himself because all of who Jesus is, is the only Savior. But He is indeed Savior. As we trust in Him, we are trusting in the One who conquers the very grave and who 
makes us to share in resurrection life as we repent and trust in Him. There is one Jesus. And He is the Savior. His name is the power of salvation. Amen. Let us pray. May our only boast...